Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today, we are talking about Lucifer, Season 5, Episode 4, It Never Ends Well for the Chicken. And this is the big noir episode that we were all looking forward to. I'm sure we are also excited about it. What I wanted to share to start um, our discussion here was that I watched this with my parents and um, my uh, mom, I'm not sure her connection with like noir and old, old classic film. I'm not, you know, I'm not as strong on how she feels about it other than just, you know, liking well-made stuff. But my dad really enjoys classic film and, uh, and black and white and noir and all of that stuff. So I got a little taste of everyone's favorite, uh, Kate's fuck your favorites because we finished this episode and I was like, okay, so what'd you guys think? And, they, and my mom literally said, eh. And, and like, eh. yeah, I mean, like, they were just having fun with the aesthetics and, you know, I guess that's fine, but like, it didn't really do anything for the story and like, uh, uh, and all these <laughs> different things. That was just like, <laughs> there's a whole MacGuffin on his finger now. <laughs> I I deserve this. It's fair. It's you know that's fine. But I loved it so much. This is so my shit. Uh, I really, really was simple with this. Vin says it seems your your mom and I are on the same page. Sorry. Ooh. Uh, it had a lot to do with the story. Pay attention, people. Read my reviews. Uh, Keaton says Vince betrayal. So um, yeah, I, as soon as it became clear that this is going to be a noir, but Via the Princess Bride, I was like, well, I'm in the bag for this. This is obviously going to be something I enjoy. Then we got Lilith and the reveal of that. So congratulations on your at least-ish, Allison, um, for calling calling the appearance of Lilith. Um, and we got one casting, and then we got somehow an even better casting by the end of the episode. It's so exciting. Um, so I, of course, immediately love this. I'm curious how everybody else felt about it. Who wants to go next? I mean, I already yelled, so... <laughs> LaToya? Yeah, LaToya, please. I mean, I was saying I already yelled, so I feel like I've gotten out my feelings, but I think this episode is phenomenal. I think to think that it uh, is not important to the greater story is to miss a, a lot of things. Listen to the dialogue. Listen to people when they speak. Come <laughs> on, everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um... Go back and tell tell your parents to go back and watch it and go through it line by line. (laughs) Or again, just read my reviews, Mm -hmm. uh, Kate's parents. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I it's very easy to make this kind of gimmick episode just a bunch of uh, you know in jokes and little winks, and they don't really do that. Say for like the 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 French shower bit, uh, (laughs) really, and they're like little things, but like that's not what the point is. It's not like. City of Angels or Once Upon a Time. It's something completely else, like else that I think propels the story again moving forward. And uh, I just love all the specific casting choices. I think, by the way, we have to talk about how good Lauren German is in this episode, in addition to Leslie and Brandt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Noel? So at the top, I do want to say that one of my pet peeves when shows do black and white episodes is that they don't always look like black and white episodes because of post-production and that kind of stuff. They don't shoot in black and white. Um, so everything looks 
slightly off from what black and white actually looks like. And it always kind of grates me sometimes. And it does that a lot in this episode, um, just because of the post effect, uh, post-production filters and all the touching up that they do throughout. So that's just the thing with modern television when they do black and white, because they don't shoot black and white because it's really expensive. The lighting that you have to do for it is ridiculous. Um, so it's actually really difficult now to shoot black and white. Um, well, anyway, so running it through post-production stuff, fine, whatever. It's just sometimes it doesn't look really good because it looks too slick. Um, but there are other plenty of times in this episode where it looks really, really good, and they're really hitting those black and white notes, period, like the noir stuff, but also just general, that black and white aesthetic of we're going we're gonna to make sure that the, eye, the light splashes across eyes hits just the right space. Um, or when you go into a room and everything's every which way on um, that Chioscuro um, lighting, it all looks really, really good um, when they hit it. Um, but just other times, if they're in an exterior, if they're outside, it's just like, this is not what black and white looks like outside. Um, all, but that aside, this episode really is a delight. Um, it's really fun. Um, it's really ridiculous, but also just feels really kind of perfect for the show. Like this definitely feels like something Lucifer would have done in 1946. Um, all the Lilith stuff I think is really, really good. And I agree with Latoya. Like if you don't think that this was important for the overall plot, you just kind of weren't paying super close attention. I feel like, um, so apologies to your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the whole, I really, really like it. I like all the character reveals. I like that even little Trixie gets to dress up in boy noir drag. Um, just everyone boy noir drag is just so good. It's so good. Um, so I, I really liked it. I thought it was delightful. I'm really eager to talk about it. Um, I, but I will also say if you introduce a Tommy gun in act one, it needs to go off by act five. <laughs> Um, Keenan says uh, my only single style complaint was Lucifer's trademark stubble just looked slightly off in noir and his hat seemed distractingly small but again I'm not as strong uh, on my men's wearing costume so I'm sure it's right Uh, he I was very distracted by the stubble he He should have been he shouldn't have it yeah. yeah. Vince says, my favorite scene of season four was Lucifer transforming back to his human form, so I'm very superficial, it seems. Keenan says, Lauren German, the last two episodes has crushed it. And hey, remember the Lieutenant Bland 1940s flashbacks? These are better. These are <laughs> definitely better. Uh, Allison, what did you think? I hated it. <laughs> Liar. Um, it could not be more exactly my shit. Um, I, without going into boring detail, have... Um, a pretty lengthy, intimate relationship with film noir as a style and a genre um, and the many ways in which it's adopted now and when that's handled well and when it isn't and it's not enough to have hats and quippy dialogue. You've got to do something else if you really want it to be noir and there's a difference between L.A. noir and New York noir yes. and neo-noir and contemporary noir yes. different things and like all of that stuff. Let's right? just do that right now because I can actually have this discussion too. Great. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about this is it definitely feels like L.A. noir. A lot of mm-hmm. times if a production adopts, um, if they're like, well, this is going to be our noir episode, it's either just a Maltese Falcon send up and nothing else or 
it's sort of a wash of old Z timesy characteristics, which end up feeling more like a New York noir or even like a French noir. But LA noir, um, a lot of the, and obviously a lot of our film noir greats are set in LA, um, just has a certain look and feel. And while I agree with Noel that especially the exterior shots, it were just like, no, it doesn't look like night. It doesn't like, it doesn't have that texture. It's just wrong. Um, they did a really great job in replicating the carefully composed um, lighting, especially what's illuminated, what's not, and and how those really stark shafts of light help to tell the story. It was, it's not even sort of lazy filmmaking. It's not an affectation. They did a really, really nice job with this incredibly important part of the genre, I think. Noel, was that your reaction? Yeah, no, it was the same thing. Like, when they were in particularly certain exteriors, they did a really good job. Like, um, everything in uh, Stoppinato's, like, bedroom, when they come into Stoppinato's mm-hmm. bedroom, is really well executed in terms of its lighting and staging. Um, some of the club lighting is a little too harsh. Um, but Stoppinato's bedroom stands out to me. But also um, Jack's um, office is also really well done. Jack's office is amazing, I thought. Um, They do a really nice job, too, of using um, a sort of vignette effect Mm -hmm. where um, they did this a lot with Maze, especially with Lilith, sorry. You get um, a, a sort of soft fuzzy outside edge and then a really clear but also somehow still soft inside almost like it's a portrait um a lot of really great things there and they shot eyes really well which is a huge part of noir right when you think about um the great actors of the genre and you think about their performances in great noir films you're often thinking about silent moments not lines of dialogue um because you, they'll just do a really tight close-up and you see a lot of things play out in their eyes. And that is true here, I think, especially of Lauren German. And while everybody is good in this episode, everybody, everybody is great. The two people who absolutely annihilated it are Leslie Ann Brant and Lauren German. Lauren German just played like a noir detective, just like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, it's not, the script is occasionally cutesy isn't the right word but clever right there's as Latrice i think said, cutesy is okay though too i think cutesy yeah. is fine there's it's not um an in joke right they're playing with the genre certainly but it's not like oh it's it's a woman haha ha, isn't that funny they're From playing the moment very straight yeah. totally straight and it's a testament to the writing and to Lauren German and to the direction that they just let first, I mean, she's never been hotter, but they just let her play that role um, without affectation or um, any sort of condescension, right? There's, there are no jokes about her height. There are no jokes about her slight frame. Her suit is impeccably fitted and it's not tailored like a woman's suit, but it fits her impeccably. And the her reaction to everything that it's just it's a very 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 good performance um and then also the fact that i can think of what leslie ann brandt is doing as a completely different character which it is obviously is a testament to her performance as well because so much of it feels maze-ish but then there's this she's doing this eartha kit thing especially when she's singing that's incredibly cool um it's just 
really well done all around. Everybody was great, but those two in particular were just, I mean, they were just doing the thing and they were doing it expertly, I think. I'd also uh, want to call out uh, Kevin Alejandro for mm. his comedic timing in this episode. Oh my his God. Physicality. Well, he's God. Everything he said made me bust out laughing. And then when yeah. he tried to sit down in that suit of armor, I was crying. That's yeah. one of the things that I loved about it most because what he's doing is not great classic noir acting, but because Lucifer is the one telling the story first for one, like for just a few brief blissful moments, I really thought the only time we were going to see Kevin Alejandro this episode is when that body fell over and that was going to be it. That was all of Dan's contributions to the, to story time, which would have been very funny and also a shame. So the fact that he both was the stiff and the heavy is amazing to me um when he was trying to sit down in that armor that's not a noir thing that's just expert physical comedy and incredibly appropriate specifically because of the narrator not because of the genre it the whole i mean he was great throughout he was so funny but that's trying to sit in that armor what a masterpiece i could have watched him do it for an, an additional 30 seconds before i got bored him getting shot in the foot and then like a few seconds later saying, my stomach. It's, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yes. <laughs> I was planning on watching. I liked this one so much that my plan last night was to watch it again in a Netflix party with our pals, the Caldwells, um, because Scotty was getting a Caldwell and also the presence of Elscott Caldwell. It just felt like I there should be like, like a Caldwell thing. Um, but fun story, my building caught on fire, which is why I'm coming to you from my phone because our internet is out. Um, so I instead spent the rest of the evening standing on a sidewalk, watching smoke pour out of my building and, uh, watching people cry about whether or not their cats were going to make it. Uh, it was really rough. I'm fine. Nancy is fine. Tom is fine. Um, and you know, we're as well as can be, but, um, I liked it enough that I was going to watch it again with the Caldwells could not. And I'm now regretting it because I definitely did not catch that. My stomach thing. That's fucking hilarious. That's great. (laughs) And your point about, like, the different types of noir, I think, is really well taken because everything, when they take that quick break where Trixie's like, wait a second, hang on, we need to break down this plot thing a little bit. And it's just like, yes, because it's the big sleep, which doesn't make any sense. Even when you read it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, And that layering of culprits is also just very aggressively Chandler as well. Um, I just got done reading, like, a short story collection of his, and it's just... You lose track of the plot in the short stories 10 pages in. And you're just like, what the <laughs> fuck? And it's perfect because Trixie going like, wait, wait, who? But how? But what? But and it's just so good. And like you say, it's very specific to like Los Angeles noir and like the San Francisco Bay Area noir as well. Um, it's just really specific to that kind of convolutedness. Um, so they hit all of that really well. Go ahead, Kate. Well, and it's also a plot specific thing. She probably doesn't care that much, but she's got to get this clear for right. Maze. She has to get it clear for Maze, exactly. So it like it's a really good sort of commentary that also serves like her mm-hmm. mission in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I um I also appreciate that, and this is something that most of the time, if it's like, ooh, it's a noir episode that doesn't happen, um, but which some of the great, um. TV neo-noirs manages really well. Veronica Mars in particular does this very, very well, where um, there's this streak throughout of um, 
mortality and a fascination with death, which is often mm -hmm. also connected to sex. Um, this, I mean, it's obviously a huge part of Sunset Boulevard, right? We're talking about aging and murder and sex appeal and power and all of these things in the context of the relationships developed throughout the film. Um, and that's what, and that's this too, right? That's not a thing if, if you saw that, Oh, um, bless it. I love it so much. But if Stumptown was doing a noir episode, I would not expect it to also be a rumination on death and mortality and um, sincerity and sex and all of those things. Well, that's uh, but Lucifer, it has to do Rip City Dicks in the 70s. Yes, so. Rip City. That's exactly. Um, but uh, in this case, that's already what Lucifer is telling. That's the story Lucifer is already telling. So it doesn't need to put that, you don't need that layer, but instead it, it just sort of is heightened, um, which is so smart, just incredibly smart. Um, I was really, I, I as impressed as I have been with both of Lucifer's Netflix seasons um, and some of Lucifer pre-Netflix, uh, I wasn't expecting this level of accomplishment. I was so excited about this episode because I thought it was going to be fun. I didn't expect it to also be just like expertly made as well. Yeah. And the only thing missing really in this episode to really is drive it home is the fact that the cops are trash. Like that's the thing in noir is that the cops are trash. Um, and it's the only thing missing. It was really weird when like Chloe as Jack was told the cops that they could leave. And it's just like, you don't have that authority. You're a private <laughs> investigator in this episode. You don't get to do that. <laughs> They just anyway. recognize yeah. a, a real dick when they see one. They felt her, like Jack's authority with that uh, glorious man spread. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it is a testament to the strength of this episode that we have been talking for however long we've been talking. I can't actually tell from uh, my phone. Uh, and we have yet to mention uh, Trisha Helfer. <laughs> um, thank you, friends, for keeping that. I guess thank you, LaToya, uh, for keeping that surprise from us because what a delight that was. Mm -hmm. um, and there was another thing that I couldn't believe we hadn't mentioned because there's so much going on. Uh, but let's start with Trisha Helfer. Trisha Helfer, also great. Mm -hmm. Shocking, so shocking. <laughs> oh, Amenadiel, and I got this from Keenan's comment. The other thing I wanted to make sure we talk about is Amenadiel tries to human and someone to watch over me. There are a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> um, but Trisha Helfer, go, please. <laughs> Trisha Helfer is great. I didn't really buy Trisha and, uh, I, or sorry, Shirley and Jack. It didn't work for me as well as it needed to. The individual performances worked. Their their makeout session at the end worked. But I, 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 I did, I had trouble buying her as, I think she was supposed to be like, was she supposed to be a young thing who had made some wrong turns and finally found a good guy? Or was she supposed to be, like... Because, like, when she said she's going back to her mother's, I was like, oh, that reads to me like she's supposed to be young. And we're not... And that's why she's going to her mother's, not somewhere else. Um, and then, like, there's this, like, age gap as well as everything else, which would connect with Jack being set up, right, and not realizing it. Uh, so I was having some trouble with that because before that point in the story, I I was reading her as like a little bit older, and and then and there being this fraying in their relationship, um, so that threw me a bit. I think the performance was excellent, 
but I, I got a little lost partway through on what exactly the their dynamic was supposed to be. Though it sounds like maybe I'm the only one there. I think it's a little fuzzy because, like, original Jack seems pretty old when we yeah. glimpse him real fast. Yeah. Um, and so that layered with her being younger than original Jack would have made a lot of sense. Um, but then the timeline gets a little wonky regarding the war and everything and, like, yeah. how old he was when you when he went in and everything. Um, so it gets a little, it gets a little weird. Um, her age didn't bother me too much because she could have just been an escort that had been around for a while. And then his commanding officer arranged everything public 20 bucks for a meeting in a library is really expensive setup in 1945. Um, so I, I think that like, it's easy to get hung up on that, but I really, their performances carried me through it. Like that whole thing with them right before they go and do the operation in the club with, was like, she's got like the um, cigarette girl outfit on. He's not talking to her, but trying to talk to her. Just killed me, just killed me. And I was deeply invested in it much more than I think you were. Um, But I think mainly it came through just because of the performances between the two of them. Yeah. I think what I what I ended with is Jack is supposed to be quite a bit older. Yeah. And and then she's supposed to be quite a bit younger. Like I don't for me, think I'm, so. I'm, I'm no, okay, cuz that's what I'm getting lost in is the power dynamics around their age in their relationship. That's where I was getting a little lost. Um I'm going to have to move back in with my mother as a thing that a that a dame says. Yeah. Um not uncommon. Uh, okay. regardless of age. I think at the time, you know, women living on their own um, after, you know, marriaging age, especially if they're getting divorced, uh, was not all that commonplace and certainly wouldn't have been commonplace in the movies. And especially like after the war as well. Like, I mean, an expectation that you're living alone after the war may be okay or like in a hotel, women's only hotel or that kind of thing. But going back after the war when jobs are drying up, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's um, to the point where I was like, oh, that's, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the name of the trope would be, mm-hmm. but I have to move back in with my mother in Iowa is definitely like, like LA movie bingo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Iowa or Kansas. Maybe Missouri, yeah. maybe Canada, if you're being real edgy. Yeah. <laughs> Latoya? I had no uh, problem with the ages at all. I didn't even uh-huh. think about that until right now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, just, I, I had seen, like, um, uh, someone mentioned in the comments, I had seen promo pictures of her in period garb, and, and I was curious what that would be. So I knew that she was going to be in the season, but I didn't connect that she was going to be in this episode. So, I, you know, when when I was surprised when she showed up and it was like, oh, that's fun. Oh, that's very nice. Someone uh, had a comment on my review for this episode saying that I guess uh, some of Lucifer fandom were, were guessing like this is like mom's uh, universe that she created, basically. Mm-hmm. And that I guess that would have been interesting, too. But I like what we got. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think this was, I think it was more interesting this way. Um, so I wanted to, uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to chime in on a few things. First of all, around the lighting, um, the scene that stood out to me besides the, the bedroom scene, um, was the scene with Amenadiel, sorry, with, uh, D.B. Woodside and Melvin. Melvin the Magnificent. Melvin the Magnificent, which was hilarious. One of my favorite scenes. Um, look over there. Very Jada, very Jada Essence Hall there um, was absolutely delightful. So the accent work went in and out for several of the actors, and it was going in and out a bit in that scene. But I was okay with it. It also was going in and out with uh, Harris a bit. But um, I really loved the lighting in that scene. And what stood out to me in that scene was, you know, as a a highlight of what they did so well here, and what so many other shows that do a noir episode don't do, is that they didn't need to. We didn't need to see their full faces all the time. A lot of times, shows do a noir episode and they light it to be noirish, but they want to make sure we don't miss anything, so nothing ever gets blacked out on their faces. It's like gray and then lighter and darker, depending on where they want the highlights of the lighting to be like where the vertical blinds shaft of light stuff is. But in, in this episode, there were several times where they were just very comfortable with shadow and moving in, like, like they would turn their face and you would just see the light ripple across their face and certain parts completely blacked out and other parts illuminated depending on where the light source was. And it was just gorgeous. I just loved it. It was so, so terrific. Don't be afraid of the black part of the charoscuro. Um, so that was something that really stood out to me around the lighting. Um, in the comments over here, uh, Keenan says, um, let's leave Anne Brandt's face. And she's, we've talked about most of the rest of the cast. Let's talk about Leslie Ann Brandt because like her delivery throughout this episode is terrific. It's very, very good. And she is distinctly Lilith. She is not Maze. When she does that Gert, oh, Gertie moment, like, she sold that better than some of the people sold their moment. Like, she sold that as well as some of our Ilsa moments in Casablanca. Like, she absolutely nailed that delivery. Um, and it, it was so interesting to see, like, you can see the connection with Lilith and Maze, like, there's a definite tie there. But they also are very distinct. I never felt like I was watching Maze. It was absolutely fantastic. I look forward to to hearing what you guys think, but I want to go quickly right on to the next comment, which is, question for Kate, was Ellis actually playing the piano um, in Someone to Watch Over Me? And Because Ellis has said before he doesn't play piano, but he was playing the piano in that. He might not, they might, I'm sure they recorded it separately, but his hands were in the right place. It was a very simple piano part, but he was actually, because they, this is the first time we've actually seen his body and his hands on the keys of the piano while he is playing in the run of the series. Like we've seen like the, the, when they were dueling pianos back in season one, right? Season mm-hmm. two with the priest. Um, they did some creative editing around there. There was a little bit, but you can really see it because they were faking it. But here he was playing the right thing. So that's pretty cool. I thought, um, uh, Keenan says, someone to watch over me is one of my least favorite standards. A pain to sing, a pain to listen to. I stand by this hot take. And it was hands down my favorite musical (laughs) performance the show has done ever. Um, I did not care for it. Uh, I did not care for either of the musical 
performances. I enjoy Leslie Ann Brandt's voice, but I, I was just like watching this going, did they not have enough time to record what is go- happening with the harmony lines with Lucifer and Lilith? Oh, the harmony Be- was bad. Because they're not good. Why, why would you write that harmony? It doesn't make sense. And then they go into octaves and like, it just, it's, to me, it felt like that, that was the part of it that I felt like they had to really, they must have had a very limited time and then they had to rush it. I, I really like that song. I think it can be absolutely gorgeous. Um, And there are some really beautiful arrangements and performances of it. And because, for me, the bar is so high because there are so many other performances of that, there are plenty that are bad. So I I hear you, Keenan. But there are also a lot of really gorgeous renditions of that song. There's a lot of space in it, things you can do with it, that that, for me, fell flat. So I'm curious how you guys feel about that. Uh, I didn't really think about the numbers uh, too much on first watch, but like on my rewatch, I like really like, I enjoyed them more. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how many times you've watched the episode yet. Just the, just the one twice. case. Oh, twice. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, it does fascinate me that it's taken this long. Like it took all till season four to get Leslie and Brent to sing mm-hmm. or anyone besides Tom to sing. And now we're kind of going full force with Leslie and singing more. And obviously we will have more singing in the second half of the season, which I am still, I'm very excited for. After like this concept episode, like I'm really excited for the next big concept episode. Yeah, no, I am too. Um, the, uh, at least the last, next one I know about, which is the musical. Um, yeah. the, the, I will say that I thought that Brant's voice was really lovely in some of the moments, but they did a significant disservice to the two musical numbers, as far as I was concerned, by putting them in the context that she's the best singer in New York, because she's clearly not the best singer in New York. And so if they had given a different context to it, for me, that would have really helped. And um, the there are parts of these performances, vocal performances, that I thought really did work very well. And then... Like, you get to parts where she was supposed to open up and there wasn't enough breath support and it didn't, I, I don't know. I'm curious, Allison, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I like both numbers a lot as um, functions of the story and as um, performances uh, without a ton of regard to the musicality of them. Um, I think in in particular, Someone to Watch Over Me has this lovely subtext of these two people being the only people in the world who can understand exactly what this song is about for them in that moment. Um, But you're still sort of let in on the intimacy of it. It was the kind of thing where I could imagine hearing that live and the kind of hush that would come over the room. And it all has to do with um, interpretation and connection and less with actual performance. I was surprised um, by what we were hearing because it was not auto-tuned, which is better, 100% better. Um, But every once in a while, she was a little bit pitchy. She was a little bit under, she was a little bit over. And you don't usually hear that on TV. So it was surprising. The harmony very specifically sounded to me like, you're driving in your car and there's a song you really like, but you haven't had a chance to sing along with it yet. So you're just testing out harmonies. And when one works, you lean into it really hard. And when it doesn't, you just kind of like let it float by and hope that no one else notices. And luckily there's no one in your car. So no one does only in this case, it was shared with the TV watching public. Um, I don't know if someone wrote those harmonies or if Ellis improvised them. Um, but they were, they were not great. Um, that said the, the positives far outweigh the negatives for me. And I thought the first one, especially some of those um, like Eartha Kittian affectations that Brant was playing with was a lot of fun. Um, 
and just you can under no circumstances would she be the best singer in new york or indeed in des moines probably um but you can understand why she would be sort of a magnetic force and not just because of leslie ann brand's face as keenan has said five or six times (laughs) but also because of that just the like a magneticism and um a vulnerability uh that is very true of our noir heroines right they're all um what is the quote a revolver wrapped in velvet or something like that um there's a a hardness and a and a sort of lethal edge encased in softness and um it and she nails that just 100 percent. Noel where are you at with this yeah, I agree with I agree with the room. Um, I think that they're really good set pieces, and they're really good ways of telling us about Lilith, um, which I think is their primary purpose. They tell us everything we need to know about both where Lilith is right now, um, <clears throat> and about um, like establishing her as a character within this particular subset of the universe at this point. So I think that having all of that makes up for the fact that sometimes the singing is a little off um or yeah so i'm i'm generally with everyone else in terms of it's good there are things to nitpick but why do you want to nitpick too much at this point because you're having a good time yeah definitely the the charisma is essential and it really flows yeah, as does the booze, because Prohibition is over. <laughs> um, well says, over, but... He says, I want them to do a different noir every week. The ensemble is so strong. Uh, Vince didn't like the song all that much, but the performance was very good. Marcus says, important point. One of my favorite things was Trixie being so prominent. The worst thing Netflix has done to the show was cut back the Trixie content. Her aging has cut back the Trixie content. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not Netflix's fault that she's gotten way too old to be on the show. Yeah, see, th- that's why the maze twist at the end is necessary because I'm like, this child is too young for like a, a once upon a time story that is happening. As great yeah. as it is, you yeah. need that twist at the end to explain why this is happening. It's it's very very good. Um, Keaton says costumes. So we need to talk about the costumes. Look, I think it's important you know where I stand, Re Leslie and Brandt, and in this episode, and her outfits. Um, let's pick a favorite outfit. They were all very good, but I think I need to go with the closing, like the 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 white ensemble in the road when she's deciding whether to press charges. What, what do you guys think? The feathers, as Keenan rightfully reminds me. I think that's probably my favorite, too. Um... Is it? Yeah. 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 Keenan's favorite was all of them. <laughs> well, that's just I agree with Keenan. I agree with Keenan, and my, my favorite was all of them. Um, my favorite was also all of them, but what I'm going to reference once again is Lauren German's perfect suit. Um, just, I would imagine that that suit certainly didn't take as much time as the, I, the I'm assuming 15 costume fittings Leslie and Brand had to do for this episode um, <laughs> for, you know, just like just a ton, just a ton, but it is perfect. It is like, it's, I don't know that much about menswear. Um, we were, Keenan was talking about Alice's hat early. And I, I do think if nothing else, he was wearing it a little funny, but maybe that's a British thing. I don't know. Um, but Lauren German's suit, her impeccable 
tailored suit that is not tailored like a woman's suit, which is normally when you see a woman dressed up in menswear for that period, it's either they're doing the Marlena Dietrich thing and it's the crop tuxedo and the high-waisted pants and it's sort of tailored for a woman in that regard, or it's like um, you couldn't get enough men for the chorus of guys and dolls because it conflicted with football season. So instead you just put um, the palm team in like dance friendly wide leg trousers and blazers that are too big for them. Um, But then you kind of belt them maybe on the inside. Usually it's like that, right? But this is, it's just, it's a suit cut for a man, but cut to that woman's body, which I think is a testament or, or is yet another indication of the approach that the Lucifer team had for this episode with that character, because it's just, it's, it's just a, a men's, a really nice men's suit made for a female body. And it's um, wonderful. Which gets contrasted for me a little bit with like Stompanato's outfit and Ella in that suit, which feels a little baggier. <laughs> Ella's um, is much more like I they mean, needed yeah. the palm team to dr- join Geisendahl. She is also playing a mobster too, so I right. feel like the baggier suit makes sense. No, no, it totally makes sense. Uh, not enough, but it's a good like contrast in exactly what Allison was talking about. Also, I, I, I asked in my review, and I need an answer, was Amy Garcia doing a Marlon Brando impression for no reason other than to do a Marlon Brando impression? I think so. Okay, she was, right? I'm not, like, I'm not yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah, she was no. doing that. Yeah, gonna make you an. Yeah, and she should have yeah. been doing Robinson instead of Brando. But I mean, I guess sure. But I think it's hilarious that she was doing Brando. They she missed was- a huge opportunity. They should have had her do Peter Laurie instead. Um, oh, and this gets to something that I that was kind of my like one sticking point is that they should have switched Amy Garcia and DB Woodside's roles. I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to sacrifice Melvin. I don't like Woodside as Melvin very much. Like, it's very Wizard of Oz, which... You take that back. (laughs) I don't love it. Shame. I didn't love it. And I'm fine with that actual hot take. Yeah, finally a hot take. Lucifer is telling this story and the two people who come out badly in Lucifer's telling of the story are yeah. Dan and Amenadiel because Dan is both the stiff and the ludicrous heavy and Amenadiel once again is profoundly uncool um, <laughs> just like really really uncool in any era he's gonna be square in any era it doesn't matter what genre you put him in you could do um like a mob movie send off and he would be the accountant you could do <laughs> like 1940s baseball team and he would be the like agent who just can't get anybody to sign with him like he just is always going to be profoundly uncool when lose first telling the story i i just loved it Ocean's Eleven, oh my but God, Amenadiel's the be... guy who gets hit in his casino hit. <laughs> totally. Bat Boy yeah. um, is what Marcus says, which I think is hilarious. Hilarious. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. totally. He would be a Bat Boy. <sighs> Keenan says uh, about the outfits, uh, my favorite of Lilith's costumes was all of them. The silhouette behind the screen of the sheer dressing gown, the corseted feathery yet metallic first gown, the light dancing off her sparkly earrings. Um, also, Lauren German really knocked it out of the park. It was extremely cool on both Chloe as a character and in the performance and in the writing. And finally, it's all cooking with gas. So previously, in previous seasons and such, I think she means. Um, and uh, Noel, you were wrong about uh, about Melvin here. I'll be here. okay on the slim. That's okay. 
Okay. Sawing it off so I can fall. Vince <laughs> says, I like D.B. Woodside in everything, and especially here in this role. And, I mean, and Vince didn't even like this episode, really. So, uh, yeah. So that that is just you on that on that limb. But that's okay. That's I'm that's over okay. here in my, eh, the song's fine. So, like, we both have our moments. You know what Amenadiel's energy is in this episode and in many other episodes? His energy is very precisely unwanted audience participation in a theater like yeah. like the act of that is amenadiel he's like he amenadiel is the act of going everybody <laughs> that's the bit or like that episode of gilmore girls where the kids are doing magic to do from pippin and they start throwing glitter in the audience like that they just <laughs> he like very earnest i love 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 so we've already gone long, but there's a couple <laughs> things we have to talk about. And the first is uh, to, to take us out of the noir a bit, which I know we love, but uh, we had a, an important guest actor in this episode. And I'm actually going to throw it to uh, our friend and listener, uh, Scotty, for a few thoughts on this. First of all, Scotty, congratulations on your called it. Called uh, ooh, well. Ooh, I called it well. Called well. <laughs> so... My last name is Caldwell. I go by my middle name, so I go by Scotty Caldwell in real life. Um, so I called it well that it was a noir, a little bit unfair because Allison is a very close friend of mine and I know that she loves noir. So when she said yesterday, it's one of my favorites, I was like, oh, easy, done. I mm. thought it was absolutely outstanding and wonderful. So I did call it well, but may I say, I did not call the actual famous Scotty Caldwell showing up in this episode. <laughs> Mm-hmm. until I saw her name in the credits and I was like holy shit El Scott Caldwell is gonna be in it yeah. um, I'm a theater actor in Chicago and I was understudying at Chicago Dramatist and I went to check in to see the performance that week um, and I got to the box office and I said hi I'm Scotty Caldwell I'm the understudy I'm checking in and the woman behind the desk said no you're not and I was like I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> and <laughs> this, she was friends with L. Scott Caldwell, uh-huh. the actual Scotty Caldwell. So when I marched in, you know, 20 something white lady and was like, yep, that's me. She was like, no ma'am, nice try. And I had to get her to open the playbill and show her my name and say, I promise I'm not trying to defraud the actual <laughs> famous Scotty Caldwell. Oh. I just happened to go by the same name. <laughs> Um, so I feel like I get an, I personally felt like I got an extra called it, even though I didn't just because we have the same name, Um, but I did call Trixie. Thank you fucking much. Uh, I loved, loved, loved this episode. Uh, thank you, Scotty. Uh, so how did we feel about L. Scott Caldwell, who is apparently Scotty Caldwell, as I did not know that that's how she goes, uh, you know, the name she goes by, uh, as, as Lilith, because I was, like, when she, I didn't notice in the credits, I was so distracted by everything else, I wasn't looking at the credits, uh, I was just, like, oh, who's it gonna be, who are they gonna, and then it was her, I was like, two things came to mind, first of all, don't cast Scotty Caldwell for one scene. She's got to be back. And I was like, well, but maybe you do, because she's really good, and you need that scene to be really good. So either way, I'm so excited. It was very, very good. I was very excited. Um, I missed her popping up in the credits as well. I saw, I saw Trisha Helfer and, like, tapped on my um, partner's arm, like, real fast and a little too hard to be like, Trisha's in this. Um, <laughs> the woman who can't say my name. Um <laughs> 
but um, I missed I missed that. So I was really excited when she showed up right at the end there. And like you said, I really don't want this to be the only scene that she gets um, because El Scott Caldwell is a delight. Every time I like see her in anything, I'm immediately excited. And one of my still angry fish shakes at Lost is that they don't use El Scott Caldwell enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, so yeah, I just, I need her to pop up again. That scene is really, really good. And I really like the through line, really, of a sense of who Lilith is and that that has not changed at all. Um, And I find that really compelling. And I think that scene between her and Brant is just great. Um, I also love that she settled in Reno. Like, that's just beautiful chef's kiss. (laughs) Um, Allison, how'd you feel about it? Um, I did catch it in the credits. And in fact, I got so excited when I saw her name that I was just staring at that part of the screen. So then I also saw Trisha Helfer, which I was bummed about. I wish that I'd been able to be more surprised about both. Um, save special guest star reveals for the end credits. This is a hill I will die on. Um, I thought it was great. There's no way this is the last scene for her. No way. None. I mean, if it was, it would have been longer and more devastating um so yeah i think for sure she's coming back um latoya go ahead and sip water whatever you need to do um (laughs) sip white claw yeah let me finish my white claw add a girl when i saw uh her name in the credits i immediately knew that that was what was up right um like me, I was like, oh my God, she's playing Lilith. That's amazing. How on earth did she age? And then the episode explained it. And that's amazing. So cool. Um, but what a great scene. It says so much in such a short time. It's also a great scene for Leslie Ann Brandt, which is no surprise, but it's nice watching her go up against somebody of L. Scott Caldwell's caliber, which is not to say the rest of the cast isn't great, but we're used to seeing Leslie Ann Brandt with them. So watching her square off with somebody that wonderful is really cool um i just want it to feel i think that this is the kind of storyline that lucifer has the opportunity to either just nail or totally whiff on um because it's a really complex thing it's a complex emotional thing and it's the kind of thing that can be screwed up pretty easily right like pick an episode of this is us and either they do this really well or they have completely um uh, forked it up and it, there's no in between so um, I think that the casting is a good first step for that but I hope that they approach it with uh, an appropriate level of thoughtfulness and not restraint because I think the a lack of restraint is actually important but with care I guess so the thing about that scene that I really love is it comes from you know, Trixie at, at the like at the end of Lucifer's story, he's she's like, oh, you know, I think Jack and Shirley they they, they talked it up the whole ride and they fixed everything. And I'm like, that's really sweet, Trixie. Um, that's probably not what happened, and they probably didn't resolve their issues, unfortunately, because life's not a fairy tale. It's not a happy ending in a noir, uh, and that is exactly what Maze uh, gets when she goes to Reno. And her her mother tries to shut the door on her. And then when Maze is like, you were here the whole time? She, and she like flippantly says, you know, I gave something a shot. It didn't work out. And it's like, it also speaks to what stubbornness that she didn't ever come back to Lucifer to like get her immortality back and not just live this sad life. 
because she, she's not going to accept defeat. She's not going to make her children and her idea weak. Uh, for as optimistic as Lilith seemed in a way, a lot of ways, she's also working from a place of kind of kind of like Maze in a way abandonment. Only her idea of resolving that is to make it so her her demon children will never you know they'll never love they'll never want for anything because I made them these tough warriors. So when like from her, from the two seconds she knows sees Maze, even though she says you seem like you turn out fine. In her eyes, there's no way she doesn't think, oh, you're weak. Because, like, you're crying for your mommy, basically. Mm-hmm. Which, ouch. <laughs> yeah, that's just such a great approach. I know. I'll traumatize my children a bunch, so that way they don't have to worry about being traumatized. Yep. But it it does it does speak to uh, where she's coming from. I think that one of the things this episode does really well, and that was the other thing I wanted to ask you guys about, is lay out... A perspective and point of view for Lilith and an explanation that I think tracks with Lilith's baggage and her trauma for her decisions. Um, it's not necessarily a good reason, but it's a reason that has internal logic and that you can see um, being one that, that this person, this personality, right, would adhere to for thousands of years. All because Adam was a shitty husband, as we already knew, but yeah. he is 0 for 2 on this show. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to meet him. Um, <laughs> oh my god, we should do Adam fan casting. Oh. Cheyenne Jackson, Cheyenne Jackson. Um, I think that, so, so noir, there are no happy endings in noir, right? So when we get to that, to the end of Jack's story, I was like, well, that's okay, you know, whatever, I won't begrudge them. Then they have that interesting conversation about it. It was like, that's great. That leaves the door open, right, for the possibility of a, a noir ending um, in the framework of a television show, right? Like, I get that works. But then when the actual ending, when our actual final emotion, big emotional beat is Maze and Lilith, that is a noir ending. And Lilith's story is very, the idea of giving up something um, to experience life more fully and then it goes sour on you is uh, is very noir. Um, there's a fixation on aging. Some of the, the, one of my very favorite pieces of noir is a French film, uh, Refifi, which is a heist movie. It's really excellent. Everybody should see it. It's so great. It's one of the great heists in all of cinema. Um, but it's very specifically this fatalist, someone made a bunch of choices and they went wrong and now nothing is quite right. And so I just have to do this one decent thing while everything else is falling apart. It's incredibly fatalistic. And that's, if you start to fill in Lilith's story between these two points at which we see her, that's the kind of story that emerges. So I think it's really brilliant that that's the way they found their noir ending because it makes the episode and not just the pieces inside the framing device, a piece of noir storytelling. Well, thank you, Alison, for that. Yeah, I think that the bit of history and cosine on Rafifi, um, it's very good. It's long, but it's good. Um, yeah, uh, let, let's throw it to our friend of the show, Keenan, with a few thoughts, because we did shout her out earlier this season of Lucifer. So we're going to hear some uh, expert analysis, if you don't mind joining us, Keenan, on, on our lingerie from season from episode one, and then a few thoughts on this episode. 
I'm so sorry I had to miss uh, a couple episodes there, but I did hear my shout out on episode one of this season podcast. Um, I agree with Noel's partner. The bra did not fit Ella, but I thought it was intentional. Um, that was like really good broadcasting, if you will, um, because that style of t-shirt bra is completely ubiquitous. They fit almost no one properly. It's really, really hard to get a t-shirt bra to fit well, especially if you have a slimmer frame, I will say, actually. There are some times when bra fitting is much easier for larger busted folks, which seems counterintuitive because we don't have a lot of awareness about larger bra sizes, but Amy Garcia is a very slim lady. And um, the color even made it look like I, I'm sure it was a new, perfectly nice bra, um, but it looked gray like it had been washed in a bunch of different colors and was like really kind of old and stretched out and worn out. And that kind of is in keeping with like Ella's character. We get this sense that, you know, she's come from a non, um, you know, from kind of a hard scrabble background. And um, yeah, so I like, I had a lot of thoughts about the bra for being such a boring gray bra. I thought it was like really good broadcasting. Um, costumes overall this season are awesome. This is the first season of this show that I've liked. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I've watched every episode of it twice now, but it's not a show that I have actively admired. Um, although I will say that reading Latoya's reviews and like going back in time has helped me have a new appreciation for some of what they're doing with the show. It has gotten stylish as hell. Oh my God, the lighting, the way the shots are set up. The costumes are so smart and so in character and um, oh God, I just wanted to cry this episode. Dang, like everything that was going on was completely my jam. Um, Maze in particular is my blog's like ideal feminine, whatever. The feathers, the sequins, the sparkles, the corseted singing gowns. Mm. I'm done, that's all I got. <laughs> it's okay. great. It's a good show now. Well, thank you for your expert analysis. Much appreciated. <laughs> um, do we have any final thoughts on this episode? Any other moments that we haven't mentioned? Any other favorite developments? I was glad we got some rear projection, like driving and rear projection. Yeah, yeah so amazing. Yeah. Just was... so perfect. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have a question for Latoya. Yeah. Uh, I want to know where this sits with um, the, for you, with the, the great, the handful of really great Lucifer episodes we have. Is it right up there with Off the Record? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go quickly then, because again, I gotta, I gotta edit this. Uh, let's go <laughs> quickly to our next episode. What's the title, uh, LaToya? Detective Amenadiel. Hmm. We're getting two noir episodes back to back. It's so good. Allison, are you okay? Listeners, Allison is having a moment. She's has a strong reaction here. <laughs> Big old smile. So I am not going to make a prediction. Why would I ever try to diminish my own joy of whatever it is that's coming? Never. <laughs> Detective Amenadiel? Oh my God. Undercover Amenadiel? That's my one hope. Undercover Amenadiel. Amenadiel's always undercover when you think about it, though. Yes, that's true. But I want some, Deep. like, I want some yeah. some pure, uncut greetings, fellow kids. Like, I want, I oh, I want it. Roller disco. He has to solve a crime at the roller disco. 
please. I'm like at a bit of a kindergarten cop place right now. Sure. Oh my uh, god, yes, kindergarten cop deal, please. Um, but I'm very curious who is who's watching hell. If Lucifer is still up dealing with stuff, and then Amenadiel is also up, like, you know, there could be crimes in hell. The, the season premiere suggested there are crimes in hell. Dissolved. Yeah, he so. has been down there for a hundred years. So. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, maybe it's Lee. Maybe Amenadiel comes back to Earth and Lee takes over. Oh. Yeah. Well, Lee, Lee can't unfortunately. Not an angel. Yeah, not an angel. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Angel in our hearts, not an angel in actuality. <laughs> Well, that wraps up our conversation about it always ends, it never ends well for the chicken, which again, just, I love that title so much. It's a very good title. Um, and almost as enticing as Detective Amenity is a title. So we will be back tomorrow to talk about episode five. Thank you guys for hanging out in the chat, Marcus and Vince and Keenan and Scotty, and we'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye.